if we start to take really good care of our mind on a daily basis and actually create some inner space, create some inner clarity, create some inner peace, we're much more able to deal with these things when they come our way. And meditation naturally helps you to do that. So even a simple breathing meditation would be a great starting point. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Gary Talks. I'm your host, Gary Kelly. And in this episode, I'm talking to Adam Starr, a young man who moved from Dublin to London in the late 80s, became a director of a global media company, but gave it all up a few years ago to become an international teacher of meditation and Buddhism. Success isn't making loads of money in a big city. It's doing the thing that gives you purpose. Stress may be a normal part of everyday life, yet as we all know, if it goes unchecked and ramps up, these unhealthy levels of stress can seriously undermine our peace of mind, our happiness and resilience in daily life. But when we learn how to stress less, we discover how we can live more fully and increasingly peaceful, happier, healthy lives. I believe if you are suffering from stress or simply feeling a little lost at the moment, I think you will find great value in the following discussion. So please sit back, relax and enjoy. This is a GK Media Podcast. Adam Starr, former director of a global media company, now an international teacher of meditation and Buddhism, where you're Resident teacher at Tara Kadampa in Dublin. Thank you for joining us in Gary Talks. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you, Gary. Now, I was wondering how do I get the pronunciation right of this first? Because you're known as Kadam Adam. Yeah. And Kadam is a typical name in Kadampa Buddhism. Yeah. It's great that it rhymes with your name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just stick a K in front of my yeah. name and you're good to go. It's yeah. like it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're happy enough being addressed as Adam anyway. That's fine, yeah. Really excited to hear the story of where your journey that is taking you to where you are today, where it started. So I I know you went off to London. You left Ireland, Dublin, in the late 80s, looking to probably make a big impact, hitting London, getting involved in global media. Who was Adam back then? So I left, as you say, in 1989. And back then I was very much like most of our generation at around that time where, you know, there wasn't a lot of work in Ireland and there wasn't a lot of progression career-wise. So, you know, a lot of my friends and I, we left at that time and just decided to kind of streets are paved with gold kind of uh, idea that people would say, but they weren't really. <laughs> but anyway, So we decided to try it. A lot of my friends went back and I stayed on and I loved London. I was young and I just eventually got into working in the corporate world. And from there really just kind of built up that corporate career over a period of years. But yeah, it was for the same reason a lot of us left back then it was just this, let's see what the adventure's like in London. Let's see if we can move and, you know, create careers and so forth. So yeah. It's funny because when you talk about it, the energy isn't coming off you. Yeah. Like with the body language, it's it's very down and reserved. Right. So like what sort of stuff were you doing? Because obviously you're happy you're not doing it today. The things changed. But there must have been something driving you back then. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was young and I was working for a company that was like very ambitious. And 
you know, I was working in the area of corporate development. So my focus back then was basically traveling around the world, working with project teams and in the areas of mergers and acquisitions. So buying companies, integrating them into this bigger global media company and the various strategic projects and strategic partnerships. So back then when I was that age, that was very exciting when you're a 27, 28 year old traveling around the world and dealing with millions. Well, it, you know, and I, I just think for most of us back then, we, we did enjoy it a lot. And I still to this day have many fond memories of that period. And it's, I didn't really leave it because I wasn't enjoying it. I just wanted to try something different. So I think back then it, it, it seemed like that youthful enthusiasm and let's just explore what's possible. And we had a company that was very ambitious and very, you know, comfortable with letting younger people <laughs> kind of really go for it. And I think it was an exciting period. It was an enjoyable period, a period of growth for me personally. What was bad about it then? I think, I mean, like anything like that, you're spending very little time at home. So I lived in London, but I spent very little time in London. I would often be in other countries for long periods of time. I'd be in Australia for a month or, you know, in Germany just constantly or, you know, in the States or wherever. And so there was lots of periods where your home life is just kind of not always, you know, the best, kind of largely non-existent. And I think... So there was a lot of stress with it. There was a lot of strain with it. But I did enjoy it at the same time. I was young and I was ambitious and I was enjoying it. And were you in a relationship at all? Yeah, I was. Yeah. And I think that, you know, also suffered a little bit during that period, during that time. We still were very close, but I think, you know, I was away an awful lot. So, yeah, I mean, I look back on those days. And as I say, like any job of that nature, you know, it's going to come with its stresses and it's going to come with its strains. And I was quite young and immature. And so a lot of it, I was still processing. But then later on, I, you know, or well, before that, I'd met meditation. And so that was helping me hugely in that period of time. So you're traveling all around the world and you're making good money, I presume. Yeah. So what, what was the camel that broke? The straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> I was going to say the camel that broke yeah. <laughs> the straw's back. <laughs> well, I, I suppose like I'd met meditation around 1997. So I'd already started meditation and I really leaned into the or lent into the Buddhist meditation tradition around that period of time. And I was already kind of feeling like the deep benefit of that and understanding that, you know, happiness doesn't just come from money, you know. And so, sorry to interrupt, sure. but I wonder, coming from like Catholic Ireland, yeah, in the mid '90s, it was still unusual for someone to start exploring something. Another, you know, some people say Buddhism is a religion; other people say it's a spiritual journey. But exploring something different, because you know, it wasn't too long ago that it was frowned upon. You, you know, even yoga was frowned upon as something that wasn't part of Catholic teachings and stuff. I always had a lean in that way. I would say even growing up, I had a leaning that way, kind of more of a leaning inwards than outwards. So there was a, that part of me very much. And, you know, I was in very introverted even back then. And so I did have that kind of side to me anyway. It wasn't really obvious to me in, in the earlier years. And, you know, I was busy with work and so forth. But by that time, so I left Ireland in 1989. I'd already been in London quite a few years. And that whole you know, traditional approach, which obviously I respect other people have their ways. That to me had largely faded by the time I met meditation. I was very much into my career at that time, very much, you know, living a very kind of modern lifestyle and 
and meditation you know in fairness even in london back in those days it was quite relatively new as a kind of mainstream thing but it was normal you know many people were meditating so for me it wasn't really a an irish catholic thing by that time you know i'd very much moved forward with my life and moved on from ireland and i felt very much felt london and the world was my home and so i you know i'd met a lot of this kind of culture when i was traveling around the world and stuff so for me, it was just a very natural transition at that time. And as I say, it kind of very much tuned into where I was at anyway. And I've always been, you know, more contemplative, a bit internal. So yeah, it just kind of seemed to be quite a natural thing to me. Yeah. So 97, you started exploring meditation. So what was the thing then where you decided to, to take it further and to start maybe cutting back on your hours in your job? Yeah. <laughs> I think, <laughs> well, For for starters, it was like I met it in 97 and I left eventually my corporate life in 2005. So I'd already been meditating for quite some time. I'd met the Kadampa Buddhist lineage within the general Buddhist tradition. I met the Kadampa Buddhist lineage, which, you know, was my teacher, Geshe Kelsang, and also that lineage for me really resonated. So I'd already met that some time before I eventually left corporate life in 2005. I think by that stage, I'd been exploring meditation and that way of living with more wisdom, more kindness and more compassion in my day-to-day life for quite some time. And I was seeing the benefits of that, dealing with the projects that I'd have to deal with. And often the projects I would have to deal with were quite, you know, there was a lot of conflict and so forth, buying companies, integrating them, the normal thing. So I guess I'd seen like profound benefits with that. I'm not saying, you know, profoundly life-changing at that point, but they were profound for me. And I'd started teaching a little bit, sharing some of this uh, in 2004, just before, the year before I left. And so really, I didn't leave to get away from corporate life. I actually left to take a break for about a year. Things were going well with my career. I thought, I'll be fine for a year and I'll just take a break. So I went to a Buddhist meditation retreat center to kind of deepen my own practice and deepen my own understanding. And what's what's a Buddhist meditation place like? Yeah, well, this one was in the countryside in Northamptonshire. So it was a, a Buddhist meditation retreat center in college. So it's called Nagarjuna Kadampa Meditation Center. And at the time, I just felt like things were going well at work. And I just felt I needed to just step back for a little bit. I was 36 at the time. And I thought, I think this is a good time for me just to pause and just reflect a bit more deeply on what way I want to go forward with my life and fully intending, fully intending to return to work within about a year. I did some consulting work during that period, but I didn't really do any, you know, day to day work. But over that year, I just started doing, you know, a number of different retreats and so forth. I started teaching a little bit that became a lot, not just that the Buddhist meditation center, but also, you know, in corporate world and universities and schools and so forth. So by that point, by the end of the year, I kind of thought, well, I'll just keep rolling with this for now. And I'm still on that break 18 years later. So for me, (laughs) it wasn't really intentional, you know, and I didn't leave my corporate life because there was something fundamentally wrong. If anything, it was because everything was fine with it. And I thought this is a good time, you know. But you left a full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) That's what all my family said at the time. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I left a... You see, I didn't think, if I'm honest, I didn't think I'd left a full-time job. I thought I'm taking a year-long break. Yeah. So it wasn't like this kind of big move for me. 
it just became something I thought as as the year went on and I was teaching more and I was talking more in various different environments I really felt that that conversation for me was my sense of purpose it's just having that conversation with organizations individuals to me and that conversation still ongoing now I, I feel like I just started a conversation in 2005 that I've been continuing on for the last 18 years with no sense of uh, loss of you know mm. my career and so forth yeah but did you have a partner then back home because I know the family are back in Ireland did you have someone by this time I was single at the time that I'd left okay, so uh, you my know what I'm saying you I, know, get off the couch now and go out there and start yeah. sending around your CV yeah, you didn't have no, that pressure no no I okay. didn't um, so was this like a new chapter in your life finding yourself as one would say do you know that you you had that it was your journey you wanted to explore and see what road you want to go down long term yeah I mean as I was saying is like I think the way it was for me Gary was more like I felt like I'd already found something in that way of life in that Buddhist way of life in that meditative way of life that I wanted to deepen and I was a you know very busy had a very busy career constantly traveling I thought this is a good time to pause yeah. you know financially I was okay and no pressure is that way I was single as you say it was more like I just want to deepen this I just want to see where this goes and rather than just keep on the hamster wheel for the next 40 years yeah. I just thought I'm going to get off the hamster wheel for a little bit see where I can go with this and just see how this unfolds it wasn't some big plan or some big 10 year plan you know it was just I'm going to go with this and as I did it just seemed more meaningful to me every month every year you know it just seemed more increasingly meaningful and and for me, it was like that conversation really needs to be had in society of a better way of living with more wisdom, more kindness, more compassion. And for me, that was my passion. Eventually, it was just having that conversation. I have the title of a teacher, but for me, I'm just having conversations with people. That's mm -hmm. all. And But it is a conversation, as we can see in our world at the moment, that I just felt it really needs to be had, not just in the confines of a meditation center, which is great, but also within just any walk of life, whether it's a, a company, whether it's a university, a school. To me, having that conversation was the, became the, my purpose really. And as I say, I'm still having that conversation. Did you find in the workplace though, that there was people maybe of a more senior position or people who were there longer in the organization and you said to yourself, I don't want to end up like them? Yeah, when I was in, at that stage I was working with a lot of the obviously senior execs within the organization in my role and I mean they all became very good friends so they would be like the age I am now back then and uh, they were very successful very wealthy people I guess for me I could see and you know a couple of them I spoke to before I left uh, I remember one senior executive in Germany saying to me you know I'd love to do what you're doing it's just I just I'm just too frightened to do that there was a respect for what I was doing, not a kind of what on earth are you doing? And again, it was a year, you know, it wasn't supposed to be you know, nearly 20 years. So I did look around and I thought, I'm going on that direction. And these were wonderful people, don't get me wrong, but they were people who were heavily burdened by their careers and they're tired, you know, exhausted. Yeah, feeling trapped, maybe. I don't know whether they'd say they felt trapped. I think they just had a lot on their minds all the time, a lot of burden. Um, they seemed to enjoy the chase but yeah. i guess for me i i, I thought there's got to be something different i've got to not just keep rolling with it for the next 10 20 years without asking myself some questions is this really where your passion is is this really what you want to do not whether you're good at something you can be good as you know you can be really good at something 
but it doesn't mean that that's really where your heart is. And for me, it was always that journey of like, where is my heart? Not what is it I should be doing, you know? I think that's a key thing because what I've really discovered uh, over the last while doing Gary Talks is it doesn't matter what business idea you come up with that you think will make millions for you in life. The only thing that'll drive you is passion. And if you can turn your passion into a job or into something that sustains a living, you've succeeded. You're blessed to have your passion making a living for you. So I think it's really important that what you were looking for was what's in your heart and what actually is your passion. So what do you think today now is your passion? For me, it, it is exactly what I said, uh, you know, a little while back. It's it's it, it's simply this ongoing conversation, having a conversation with individuals, organizations, whatever forum that conversation could be had in about really understanding or trying to encourage people to see for themselves how a regular or daily meditation practice and learning to live with more wisdom, more kindness, more compassion in everyday life, like significantly improves how you experience your day in life. But it also improves the lives of those people you work and live with and also improves our world if we really think about it. And for me, where that enthusiasm or passion comes from is the understanding that everyone has the potential to live that way more and more day by day. And I think that's the key. Most people feel they absolutely don't. Mm. And they really are just struggling to get through every day and deal with the stresses and strains. But through my own experience, I've understood and, you know, through working with others over the years that we all have that potential within us and it needs to be cultivated. But it is entirely possible to live with much more wisdom, much more kindness, much more compassion. And actually, as I'd say to often when I'm speaking at workplaces, like you become far more effective, especially if that's backed up with a daily meditation practice that gives you this peace of mind and a space in the mind to work with wisdom, kindness and compassion. So for me, it's just that conversation. Now, that could be leading a meditation retreat. It could be teaching Buddhist philosophy or psychology, or it could just be a conversation on a podcast or in a workplace or a university school, whatever it is. To me, that conversation is so needed in our society at the moment because everyone's struggling to see things with perspective. Everyone's struggling to maintain a consistent compassion for others when we're overwhelmed ourselves. And I think people often don't have the space in their mind to really be able to make good, clear decisions about how they work with their life or their businesses because their minds feel overwhelmed with it all. The idea that we take care of our lives, so we take care of our work, we take care of our business, we take care of our home, we take care of maybe our body and our health physically. But a lot of people don't really think much about taking really good care of your mind. Mm. And I think this to me is a, a huge point because I think a lot of people think, Taking good care of your mind is if you're seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist because you're having some struggles with your mind. But from the Buddhist meditation tradition, the way that we understand is very different. It's about daily taking really good care of your mind through meditation, improving the quality and strength of your mindfulness in everyday life, so that actually you start to find this increasing peace of mind and space in the mind and the ability to act with more wisdom, kindness and compassion. And so often people don't really attend to this because they think, well, how do you do that? How do you take good care of your mind? Well, you take good care of your mind through those kind of practices. And I know in my own experience and many, many people that I've taught and worked with over the years, I can see like huge significant changes in how they relate to their day and their lives through that kind of training. So for me, 
that would be my passion is trying to encourage people to see that for themselves you know not just theoretically or conceptually but actually experience it daily that idea of taking really good care of your mind through these practices yeah. i was speaking to a friend recently and um, she has had a very tough 12 months and it's a thing that always i'm curious about is what time do people get up because i'm not an early riser <laughs> And she says, oh, I get up at six o'clock every morning. I was like, really? She goes, yeah. I said, yeah, the first thing I do is I meditate. I go, really? She goes, oh, Gary, if I didn't meditate, I'd be gone cracked throughout the day. She said, meditation in the morning is the only thing that keeps me sane and has me going into the day positive and productive. And I thought, wow. So she, she would do maybe 10 minutes to 30 minutes, depending on her week. But every morning... She gets up while the house is quiet, everyone is still in their beds, and she meditates. And she said, it is the best thing that she does in the day, every day. So I'm open now. <laughs> so Kadam Adam, <laughs> talk to me about meditation and, you know, on a deeper level, what's the benefit, you know, how long does it take for people to kind of feel something? How do they change over time by doing meditations? on a, you know, even Monday to Friday. This is the thing with meditation that people are discovering more and more now in their normal everyday lives that maybe in the past, like you were saying earlier, maybe meditation wouldn't have been th something that you would have heard much about in Ireland. I certainly mm -hmm. hadn't heard much about it when I lived in Ireland when I was younger. But it's becoming more all pervasive. If you look at many people who have you know, very responsible positions or successful careers, you'll see many of them are well-known meditators. It's just, again, it's that idea of taking really good care of your mind on a daily basis. Just like if you went to the gym and people go to the gym to take really good care of their body physically so that they have the physical well-being and resilience to deal with the challenges and stresses of daily life. Often people have neglected that part, the mind, and that actually determines the quality of your day in your life. So think about it. How can you have an increasingly stress-free and happy life with an increasingly stressed out and unhappy mind? Mm. And so meditation is basically this inner training, a training of the mind. So you turn inwards and you actually learn how to develop and maintain a deeper sense of peace of mind, a natural feeling of space in the mind, and an increasing feeling of happiness that comes from that experience, just a natural feeling of happiness. I don't get it. Is that done through breathing or how does that happen? There are many different forms of meditation, but the idea, the basic simple idea of meditation is focusing on something that you can prove through your own direct experience is giving rise to an increasing peace of mind and a natural feeling of happiness that begins to pervade more and more your day in your life. So that's the basic so idea. So focus on something that makes you happy or calm, is it? Well, in the sense that focus on something that you prove through focusing on it, it increases your peace of mind, increases the space in your mind, and you start to feel increasingly happy as a result of that. So as you say, one aspect of that could be breathing meditation, just sitting down for 10 to 15 minutes, focusing on the breath instead of focusing on the traffic jam in our mind of thoughts, distractions, busyness. You learn to train the attention to focus on that breath and then naturally disengaging from all the other stuff that's burdening our mind. And what happens is the more you focus on the breath, the more the mind settles and becomes increasingly calm, clear and peaceful. And through that, the more peaceful the mind becomes, the naturally happier you feel. So that's a simple, anyone could do that. Just focusing on the breath, learning to not focus on everything else. 
then there's more to the meditation practice than that. So as you progress on from that, then you, there are meditation practices that help you to recognize, reduce, and gradually begin to let go of the underlying unhealthy habits of mind that cause us stress, anxiety, worry, suffering. So there are meditations to help you to identify these underlying tendencies within the mind that enable you to begin to let them go more deeply and become more free of those unhealthy levels of stress and anxiety and so forth. Are you saying then that you're giving yourself the space to see what are bad triggers in your life that you really need to take ownership of, take control of and deal with? Is it? Yeah, it's basically looking with more wisdom at the way you're responding to things and situations and understanding the real problem that we face in our day in our life. It's not what's happening out there. It's how we're responding in our mind and here. Now, if you look at that in meditation, so you connect to a deeper peace within yourself at the beginning, and then you just start to explore how am I being triggered in the day and what is it that's going on in my mind to cause this trigger and to cause this lack of peace and frustration and stress and anxiety. Eventually, what it does is enable you to let go of those tendencies, to not indulge them so often and not to be triggered so easily. So these kind of meditations are deeply healing. It's like you start to be able to let go of those tendencies of triggering anxiety, stress, overwhelm and so forth. But the end product of all of that, or the gradual experience of all of that, is you start to find deeper peace of mind. You're letting go of the stuff that's really burdening your mind. You're cultivating those good qualities of the heart that actually increase our peace and positive energy. So that's essentially the journey of meditation. And you just start where you're at. So mm. maybe like many of the people who come to our classes or courses, they'll just start with a simple breathing meditation. That's brilliant. Even that alone will help reduce your stress on a daily basis. You'll start to have more space in your mind. So for example, a lot of people feel they're in conflict with others and in conflict with life. The reality is what's going on is we're in conflict in our mind. Our minds are just overwhelmed with all this stuff. And so if we start to take really good care of our mind on a daily basis and actually create some inner space, create some inner clarity, create some inner peace, we're much more able to deal with these things when they come our way. And meditation naturally helps you to do that. So even a simple breathing meditation would be a great starting point. Yeah, it's amazing. I was on a clarity retreat with Power 7, which Barry Walsh, who was on the podcast before, he runs Power 7 and he had us on a clarity retreat earlier in 2023. Um, one of the things we did was we sat on the cliffs of Moher or scattered around the west coast of Ireland so we couldn't see each other or anything like that. We were well in from the cliffs, I, I might add. And just we had to sit there and think and he'd given us some kind of prompter questions to think about. And we had an hour to do it. And I was amazed more so by the fact of I have never given myself an hour to just sit down and allow my mind to be blank. You know, sometimes if I'm going for a walk, I say, okay, I have this thing in the back of my head. I need to find a solution for it. But that idea of just emptying out the mind and just letting it be was amazing. I thought, wow, for 42 years of age, it's crazy. Now, there might be people who meditate all the time. So hearing me say this, they're like, oh, man, wake up. But for someone 42 years of age, I was like, how have I never done exercises like this? It's so bizarre. And what came from it was clarity on things. You know, where do we not allow ourselves that space? If there's a moment of quietness, the phone comes out of the pocket and we look at it or in the car and the radio is turned on, or at home the kids are put to bed, the TV comes on. 
there might be the good few people that you know might read before they go to sleep or something but we're never really giving ourselves those moments of just silence yeah a part of it is it's just the culture we live in now and this always on culture we're just so used to constantly following everything that's going on in our mind but you know for centuries people have taken the time in every spiritual tradition really to step back and to create some space to reflect on something a little bit more deeper and a little bit more meaningful to life. But I think it's a consequence of the busyness of our world and the busyness of our lives and the, you know, weapons of mass distraction that we're all suffering from. But when you start to explore something like meditation, you realize it's a bit like, you know, trying to run a marathon every single day with a rucksack on your back and never putting it down and thinking that you're going to get to the end and it's going to be a good run. You know, at some point, you've got to put that rucksack down so that you have the health and the resilience to continue on with the marathon run. But what we're doing is we're carrying everything in our mind, our projects, our plans, family responsibilities, commitments and everything else that's just coming in. And then the 24-7 news cycle kind of creating quite toxic feelings and emotions. Yeah. And we're never putting it down. Like We're just letting that run all day long. And like you say, one of the things we quite naturally do nowadays when there's a spare moment we look at our phone like you were saying about that bus stop in Dublin earlier on that's what we do yeah. one of the reasons people sit with their phone and look at it if, if we check it's because our minds are so uncomfortable we just can't sit by ourselves at the moment so meditation enables you to really clear a space within your mind it's not like you're shutting down your thinking and your contemplative faculties you're just temporarily clearing the busyness in the mind like decluttering the mind so that there's some space in your mind that some wisdom can start to manifest within that so you can look at things with a bit more perspective and a bit more deep uh, deeper and so meditations like this decluttering of the mind initially so that you can look at things with more wisdom, more perspective, and even just creating that space in your mind to just pause every now and again is so helpful because then you refresh in the morning, you feel refreshed in the morning before you start your day, the mind's clear, it's not cluttered, and therefore you set a new kind of energy every day before you get going with your life. And of course, then you've got to get on with your life. Yeah, but yeah. that meditative practice helps you during the day when the difficulties start coming your way because you're not so in conflict in your mind and therefore you have more space in your mind to flex and work with the challenges without feeling overwhelmed by them. Yeah, because I think you've taken control of your day. You're on top of your day going into your day because what happens with me and so, so many others is, you know, the alarm goes off, I get up, check the phone, any emails there, remind myself what I have to do for the day. So my mind's already racing before I get out of the bed. Then it's like getting the kids up, getting the breakfast ready, getting them to school, getting my own breakfast, thinking of what I'll have for lunch. Will I bring something from the fridge? Will I get something later on? Getting a shower, getting changed, getting in the car, doing the drops off, you know, getting into work 20 minutes later, in work mode now, meetings coming up, da -da 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 -da. finish work, get out the door, go collect the kids, head home, get, get them ready for bath. You know, just go, 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 go. Half nine, they're in bed. They're hopefully asleep. <sighs> and then... An hour later, it's kind of, or two, maybe going to bed. And again, that hour or two before bed is me escaping, watching TV or something, or going back on the laptop to get on top of stuff ahead of tomorrow, so to try and make my day easier. And it's just nuts, like. Mm. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the challenges, Gary, of our lifestyles, and especially if you have a lot on and family and commitments and so forth, is you can start to feel like you're a human doing as opposed to a human being. And it's all in the title. We need to be 
more than the do aspect. If we can be more at peace, if we can be more balanced, if we can be more relaxed, if we can be more uh, resilient through these kind of trainings, then what you'll find is getting things done, you'll get it done a lot quicker. So ask yourself which state of mind is going to get your to-do list done. Stressed out, overwhelmed, anxious state of mind or a calm, relaxed, peaceful state of mind. Now often what people say is, well actually what makes me get it done is the stress and anxiety. If I didn't have the stress and anxiety, I wouldn't work as hard as I do. But again, ask yourself, is that really delivering quality in what you're doing or even quality of experience in what you're doing? So it's this idea of if we take the time to just be, and I mean not be with just a blank mind, I mean with a peaceful, balanced, relaxed mind looking at life with wisdom, not just zoning out because that's not going to help us greatly. But initially, we do need to clear, declutter the mind a little bit. But if we do center in a more peaceful, balanced mind every morning before we start the day, look at the day ahead with more wisdom, more perspective, then we'll start to see that actually the success that I'm going to experience today in my business and in my work is not what I get done. It's how I feel when I'm doing it, because we don't have long enough to be constantly just doing one day we're going to get to the end of this life and realize all I ever did was do Mm. as opposed to real success in our day real success in our life is how you feel at the end of the day do I feel like I dealt with this with acceptance with flexibility do I feel like I felt really connected with my family and my kids and my heart like did I really have a genuine warmth when I met them in the morning like a warm heart of love for example when I'm sitting with my kids did I feel like when the adversities came my way which they do every day I was able to accept them flex them work with them because I would say that's the definition of success it's how you feel at the end of the day not whether you got that to-do list done by the end of the day by the way as you know nobody ever finishes their to-do list it's why it's called a to-do list. It never gets done. Yeah, it's so true. Like being present with the people that are important in your life. Yeah. Including your work colleagues and your, if you're not present with your work colleagues and your team and all day long you're just doing, eventually they're going to notice that mm. and they're going to tune out and dial out when you're trying to get them to do things. You know, the easiest way to get anything done or to accomplish anything is to cherish the people you work with. And if you cherish the people you work with, they'll respect you and therefore it's get things done a lot quicker. But I think the main point is this, it's that to-do list will never be done anyway. So if all we're doing is doing all day long and never really being more at peace, more happy. Because we're human beings. Beings, it's yeah. in the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the title, you know. Yeah. Um, but we think we're human doings these days yeah. or we're acting like we're human doings. And it's not, what I'm saying is it's not like you get less done. It's just the way you're getting it done enables you to get a lot more done if you have more space in your mind. And also it enables you to feel at the end of the day. It was a meaningful day. I connected with people. I got things done with flexibility, acceptance, resilience, with some wisdom. So that was a good day. It's how you feel at the end of the day that's important, not what you get done by the end of the day, I would say. It's funny because it reminds me of someone who I recently saw in the workplace and they were trying to do a task and then they were moving on to another task and then another task and they weren't completing any task and they were all over the place because they weren't calm. So at the end of the day, they had all these bits and pieces done. but not. And I know there's a difference between multitasking and just focusing on one thing until you get that done. But it was the fact that there was no calmness and the person was wrecked because they, they were up late the night before unintentionally like... It wasn't that they were partying or anything, but I was just amazed that because they were tired 
and they were frantic because that they were tired. They weren't calm and then just, and they were putting more and more pressure on themselves because they were, were aware of that. You know, it's fascinating. You you were talking about, you know, some people think I need stress to achieve things and meet deadlines, but there's healthy stress and then there's bad stress. Do you want to talk a bit about that? I mean, stress is just, from one point of view, an inevitable part of our day in our life. But when it starts to ramp up, like when we start to, because we haven't dealt with the underlying causes of stress within the mind, if that stress starts to ramp up, it can seriously undermine your peace of mind, seriously undermine your mental health and emotional well-being. So that kind of awareness of the possibility of that ramping up is such an important point for everyone to really consider. So the stress that we're experiencing, if we really check and if we look at it with a bit of wisdom, is really just tension in the mind. So this mental stress that people, that becomes this very unhealthy level of stress. That tension is really important to begin to explore because if we don't deal with it, it really can get out of control. So for example, tension in general is like if I go and push that wall, I'll start feeling tension in my body because I'm pushing against this immovable force, which is that wall mm. should be immovable, <laughs> this immovable force <laughs> of that wall. So I start to build tension in my body. When we talk about mental stress or unhealthy levels of mental stress, it's basically when we come up against the reality of what's happening in the moment and there's strong grasping at these unrealistic expectations of what should be happening in the moment. And an unrealistic expectation is anything that isn't happening in the moment. And we think, this shouldn't be this way. I don't want this to be this way. And we grasp tightly at that, creating this tension in the mind when it is this way. So in this moment, life can only ever be what it is. Life can only ever be in that moment what it is. It doesn't mean that you don't try to change it and improve the situation. But to let go of the stress and tension, you first have to accept you have that situation. Like, you know that, like, I can't believe he just said that or she just said that. But she did say it and he did say it. But our tension isn't coming from what they said. That's the immovable force of reality. The tension has come from strong grasping in the mind at these unrealistic expectations. We'll always have unrealistic expectations. We think days are going to be perfect. That's not the problem. The problem is the strong grasping in the mind at that, that creates all this tension in the mind. So if we could learn, for example, to just notice that, okay, what am I grasping at here? This expectation that things should be other than what they are in the moment, that's what's creating the tension in my mind. So what I really need to do is just relax that grasping, just breathe, focus on the breath, and meditators become very familiar with this so you can relax the mind a bit when you start to feel that tension. And then just accept the reality of what's happening in the moment and then work with it, work through it, try and resolve it. But the first part is to accept what's actually happening. So is acceptance the core, really? Yeah. And why are we so against acceptance? Because we believe that acceptance is resignation. We think like, if I'm just going to accept everything, everybody's going to walk over me, treat me what way they want. Acceptance is actually just lining up with reality. And reality is things will definitely go wrong today. I mean, we invented the phrase Murphy's Law. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Haven't you noticed? Things are always going wrong. You see, our belief is the problems we have in life are the problems we meet in people and situations. The problem in life isn't the people and the situations that we meet. It's our problem with problems. Yeah, yeah. So it's like this, say, if I meet a difficult person today, I think the problem is the difficult person. Actually, the 
problem I have is this growing stress and tension in my mind because of meeting this difficult person. If I could relax and let go of that tension, accept the reality, which is they're difficult, then my mind's at peace. I'm able to work with that. I don't feel overwhelmed by that. Because you're losing all your energy focusing on the fact that they're a difficult person exactly. rather than just getting on with it. Exactly. Yeah. Putting your energy elsewhere. Because they are difficult. Yeah. And unless they decide to change, which we can't be guaranteed they will, we're allowing ourselves to be like this emotional puppet on a string. They're just pulling on those heartstrings all day long because we can't accept the reality. Now, I'm not saying that you don't then challenge the difficult person or question them or, you know, even explain your view and try to reverse the situation. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we accept what's happening in the moment, which is they are difficult. And then understanding that that's coming from a wisdom that understands there's always difficult people in situations. There's nothing unusual happening. It's just we think it shouldn't be. In a world where we know we've spent a whole life meeting difficult people in situations, but we have this unrealistic expectation life shouldn't be like that. And it is. So in that acceptance, there's this peace of mind immediately. There's no, there's no tension in the mind because you're fully and wholeheartedly accepting the situation. You have the peace of mind now to say, look, I really don't agree with what you're saying. You're just being ignorant and rude. I mean, I love you, but you're being ignorant and rude. You're not tense. You're not getting angry. You're not getting uh, frustrated. So there's the flexibility within the mind to actually deal with these things. And so that's what we all need to eventually see for ourselves, how we can do that. And that's what I meant earlier on about this idea of living with more wisdom in your daily life. The wisdom that understands you're always going to meet difficult people in situations, nothing unusual happening. Your ability to accept that with that wisdom in your heart is what lets you work with it without feeling overwhelmed by it. So we're talking there about maybe interactions that you may physically have with people. What about, you know, you're talking about the 24-7 news feeds coming in all the time and at the moment it's, it's, it is really negative. Or maybe it always was, but it really feels negative at the moment with everything war in Ukraine with uprisings going on in other parts with recessions and inflation and it's very very hard to find a good news story out there at the moment and I don't know a good friend of mine has deleted all his news apps and social media apps from his phone because he just can't hack it anymore he can't take it anymore how do we come to a level of acceptance when certain things are happening in the world that are wrong and we know we can't really do much about it. Should we not feel guilty that we're just accepting, you know, that there's women and children being beaten and tortured and raped a three-hour flight away from where we are today and it's happening in its masses and it's been allowed to happen? Yes, it's a really good question. And I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this one. It's a really good question because I think, like, again, this is the key with acceptance. It's not resignation. You're not resigned to the fact that there's absolutely nothing you can do about those situations. You're just accepting that is the situation. So our feelings of overwhelm at looking at that, like your friend thinking, I've just got to remove these news apps, is totally understandable because, for one, as I said earlier on, because our minds carry a lot of stress and tension anyway just by living a normal daily life, when you then start to feed in the 24-7 often toxic news cycle, it's just too overwhelming for most people. So the first starting point is create some space in your mind through a daily meditation practice that gives you the peace of mind, the flexibility to not feel overwhelmed when this world starts to show its frailties and the various con conflicts and so forth. Now, in this 
training, what's really important is this idea, as I was saying earlier on, you know, it's all about living within deepening wisdom and a deepening compassion. So when you have that wisdom in your heart that understands, look, there's always problems and people will always suffer. This is not unusual. In reality, you know, throughout the ages, there have been so much atrocities and suffering. You're just accepting the reality of that. But once you accept the reality of it, you're not overwhelmed by it. And if you're not overwhelmed by it, you have the energy more in your mind to do something about it. At the very least, the very least we could do in that situation, instead of feeling guilty about doing nothing, is we could choose to live within our group of friends and family and work colleagues without conflict. If you're seeing the conflict around the world and feeling overwhelmed by it and thinking, which is a fair point, there's nothing much I can do to stop this. We could definitely start with your own family and your own friends and reduce conflict there within your mind with them. So letting go of anger and resentment in relationships, showing what it means to live with more kindness and compassion in daily life. So you're actually making a positive contribution in your close circle of family and friends. So it's not like you're doing nothing, but it's a good point. You know, there's not much we can do. But when somebody grows those qualities of kindness and compassion, they often feel this bigger sense of responsibility to do something in the world to create a more positive, more compassionate world. So let's see where that goes over time. But at the very least, start with your little corner of the world. So we don't feel disempowered by the suffering. We feel energized to do something about creating a world where there isn't so much conflict and suffering, at least in my little corner of the world. And in that way, you're always feeling like there's something positive I can do here, as opposed to I just feel overwhelmed by this. But the truth is, Gary, at the end of the day, most people suffer with this because they find it very hard to accept this reality. But this has always been the way. So we need to find a way to not feel so overwhelmed by it and actually start to use it as an energy to make sure that wherever we are, we're creating a better world. And that at least, at the very least, is creating within our little corner of the world, yeah, a more compassionate world for our family, friends and so forth. I think during the pandemic, we were really good with compassion. And I think part of it is we were all going through it at the same time. So we were in tune with each other a little bit more. So we could accept that someone was finding it difficult working from home with screaming kids in the background because we all had the same thing going on. And I had this this firm belief that coming out of the pandemic, we would have learned so much about ourselves over those two years that we would bring all those positive learnings into the new wave, the post-pandemic. But I think we've actually just gone back to the way we used to be pre-pandemic, the same kind of business running around, I need this now, I need this now type attitude. Like during COVID, if someone had sent an email and they didn't get a response for three days, yeah, that's, I understand, it's it's busy for everyone at the moment, lot going on. Now, you know, you nearly get a phone call an hour later, did you get the email because you didn't respond? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we've just gone back to the way we were. And like, why have we lost the compassion when I do think for, for a little minute time, we were good at it? Yeah. Well, it's a really good question. And it, it is a deep question to explore for everyone. But I think... You know, what you often see in situations like that is the best of humanity, where you can see the worst of humanity, you can see the best of humanity. So at that time during the pandemic, this whole we're in it together, it was, a, it was more than just a slogan because we really were in it together. Everyone's having the same kind of challenges and difficulties. And so often in those situations, when we feel in it together and we feel like this 
universal connection with the suffering that everyone was experiencing at that time. There's some compassion. So I would say again, that it's true that everyone can discover for themselves that those qualities of compassion and connection and kindness and love, they're all very natural qualities of our hearts. Most people feel it isn't because they feel overwhelmed with life. It doesn't feel natural and consistent to them. But in situations like that, you can see that compassion arise. And, you know, like if you remember back when, you know, Live Aid and Ireland gave, I think, the most money per capita of any country in the world, because there was a compassion there. And we've, you know, historically experienced a lot of suffering in this country. So we know and a, a shared suffering within this country. So that compassionate quality, in my view, at least, is a thing in Ireland that we would definitely all share. However, in that pandemic situation, so you th- this compassionate response and everybody more accepting of each other and so for a period of time. However, there was also the flip side of that. Put us in lockdown for long enough and our mental health begins to suffer, our anxiety begins to increase, our stress begins to increase. You know, I was uh, writing an article for the Galway Advertiser this uh, last week and I had to do some research on this where since the pandemic, the stress levels in Ireland have increased. So At the moment, the average adult would say they suffer badly from stress, about 36% of the country, which is higher than the global average of 31%. And over half of young people say they suffer from stress consistently since the pandemic. So here's the thing, when you're in a situation like that and your mind's being battered by those lockdowns and all of the various other restrictions that people were experiencing, having to be at home, your palace starts to feel like a prison. Mm. When you start to get that going on in your mind, your mind starts to struggle. And we have this tendency when we struggle to start getting a little bit too fixated on ourselves. But just because we're overwhelmed, we start to get this kind of self-absorbed, like slightly obsessive fixation on ourselves, which makes it very hard for us to then connect with others. And so after the pandemic, a lot of people are experiencing the traumatic effects of that not really dealing with it not really we were just happy to get out of it but actually it's left quite an impact on a lot of people's minds and as you probably know like if you look around at friends and family you know the lives have got a little bit smaller we're kind of like oh i don't want to do that you know it's just too much and because i thought that's because i was just getting older (laughs) i think i think it's a kind of partly an effect of that pandemic period Mm. i think it's also part of getting older but anyway So I think what happens through a period of like that is you come out of a situation like this with this kind of residue of emotional, mental wear and tear, you know, on the the engine of our mind. And we're not actually dealing with it. We haven't actually serviced the mind, if you know what I mean. We haven't taken really good care of our mind. So then you'll experience people struggling with stress, struggling with anxiety. That's why I said at the beginning, you know, it's really important for everybody to understand you can take good care of your mind on a daily basis with very little investment in time in a simple meditation practice of 10 to 15 minutes. If we were doing that, we'd be coming out of that pandemic situation feeling, and I've seen this with many people who started to learn to meditate, you know, we were doing live streams at the time and I'd meet them then after the pandemic, you know, and they'd say like, I really use that meditation practice. It really helped me. You come out of it not feeling so burdened. So even the people who are still struggling with anxiety or stress ever since, integrating a simple daily 10 to 15 minute meditation practice will start to at least begin to move a little bit beyond that experience. So there are solutions there, but I think it's something that everyone, if they can, to reflect on because there really is a way to move beyond that. Yeah, because I think if people really look inwards, you know, have they given themselves that space 
since things opened up again in the last year or so to just kind of say what went on for the last two years how did it affect me how has it changed me and how do i want to deal with that moving forward even yeah i mean that's the thing isn't it i think that's the challenge for people is like we've come out of that situation and we were just happy to get out physically Mm -hmm. let's get out again let's get on holiday let's go to places we haven't been before but we're going on holiday and as a lot of people found a lot of people report to me as you go on holiday with all of that almost like ptsd you know post-traumatic stress disorder you've got all of this residue of tension and stress and actually those holidays weren't that enjoyable from what i've heard from friends and family members because we're carrying all that we're just glad to get out we're delighted to get back out into the world but our minds are not in the best of place again like i said can you have like a stress-free and happy holiday with a stressed out and unhappy mind Mm. so it's really important that uh, this is what i mean gary it's really important to understand that just practically if we're doing this every day we can move beyond that we can start to enjoy things at a deeper level again from the inside out if you're not dealing with your mind the quality of your day and the quality of your life is very much determined by the quality of your mind in that day in life if your mind is stressed out and overwhelmed you are not going to enjoy a quality day but if your mind feels genuinely healthy genuinely resilient genuinely peaceful and happy that day will be so much more enjoyable so everybody who came out of the pandemic with that residue still left in their mind that resonance of a difficult period they can work through that day by day and start to actually look for a better way forward the way you were talking earlier on can we move forward with more wisdom and compassion And it's entirely possible, but unless we're attending to that on a daily basis, it becomes almost impossible. How long do you meditate per day? For me, it depends. For me, again, I've been meditating for many years and I, you know, I have a a meditation routine in the morning that would probably be anywhere between 90 minutes to two hours. So that's my daily practice. But Again, like I say, I've been meditating for many years and I might meditate again in the evening for a little bit, a lot shorter. But and then, of course, I teach every night. So pretty much every night. So during the week. And so I'd be guiding meditations and so forth. But my main session is just really one good long session in the morning. For most people, though, and it's important to understand this, 10, 15 minutes a day of a simple breathing meditation will definitely deliver a lot of the results we've been talking about in this podcast. So just a simple 10 to 15 minute meditation practice a day can help anybody in that way. So my daily practice would be that, you know, 90 minutes, maybe two hours in the morning, first thing before I do anything. So I don't pick up a phone, nothing like that. As soon as I get up, I go to my meditation room and just sit and meditate before I do anything else. And you've like an app on or anything? No, I mean, I think apps are a relatively new development. They're a great development. I think anything that helps people feel a little bit supported in the early phase of their meditation practice is really good. Like a a guided meditation that's recorded is super helpful. It's a bit like, you know, when you ride a bike when you're a kid. You don't just get on the bike. You put stabilizers on until you feel comfortable and there's a balance. So guided meditations are really helpful that way or, you know, attending a class where there's a guided meditation within it. That's really helpful to kind of build some confidence. But then eventually you don't need apps. You don't need anything. Meditation is this internal practice. It's a training of the mind. It's entirely internal within the mind. But are you talking to yourself doing it? I mean, you can be reflecting on something. So, for example, in the meditation on generating affectionate love or a warm heart of love for others, you turn inwards, you connect with that peaceful mind through focusing on the breath. So you center in a peaceful mind and a good heart, that innate peace and goodness that lies within all of us that I was talking about earlier. 
you tune into that as the basis of then contemplating how we receive benefit from others all day in everything we do. So the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the room we're sitting in, the house we're sitting in, and the various people that are doing various tasks throughout the day that benefit us all day. So in meditation, you would contemplate that and reflect on how that is a kindness for you. So for you, you're receiving the kindness of others, we would say in the meditative Buddhist meditation world. You're receiving the kindness of others, meaning the benefit you receive from other people's actions all day long. In meditation, you'd be contemplating that, not necessarily talking it in your head, you'd be contemplating it gently in your heart until you start to feel a sense of appreciation, a gratitude. Mm. And then through that, a natural warm heart and feeling of love gently arises. Meditation's a heart practice, mm. not a head practice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is your reflecting on wisdom. And wisdom just simply is the way things really are, as opposed to the way we think they are, which mm. is often not the way they are. So mm. we often think happiness comes from having more money, a bigger house and a yacht. But actually... It does. No, <laughs> what am I doing for the last 10 years? <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it's good to have a good home and, you know, especially if you have kids in a family and it's good to have money in the bank. But happiness really comes from inner peace or peace of mind. So we know that. We may not be convinced it comes from inner peace or peace of mind, but we're absolutely convinced that if you have no peace of mind, it's impossible to be happy. So if we understand that more deeply with wisdom, that happiness doesn't come from controlling everything perfectly out there, so I feel okay in here. Actually, what comes from that is increasing stress and anxiety because you can't control everything out there all the time and it naturally will lead to this increasing anxiety. However, in meditation, you develop this wisdom that knows the way things really are through your own direct experience of experiencing inner peace or peace of mind through training and meditation and the natural feeling of happiness that just comes from that. And I don't mean just when you're in meditation. I mean, you train to develop this underlying deep and resonant sense of inner peace that gives rise to this natural feeling of happiness more and more throughout your day in life. Instead of stressing out when things aren't going perfect today, I remind myself, you need to sit down and relax your mind, get back to peace of mind so there's some happiness there and the flexibility to work with this. That's wisdom. It's when that guides your life, you're able to work with things in a much healthier way. So back to that point about contemplating the kindness of others, you're just contemplating reality. This isn't rose-tinted glasses. The truth is, others are kind in the sense that we receive benefit from others all day long. There is somebody sitting in the power plant as you and I are sitting here this evening and they're making sure that this electricity is on and that the heating's in the building. We're benefiting as a result of that. The clothes we're wearing sitting here, somebody else made them. Our dinner is getting prepared in some field somewhere in Ireland or somewhere else that's eventually going to end up on our plate, whatever they're growing and so forth. We're receiving that benefit all day long. When you pause to appreciate that, you do feel this deep sense of appreciation and affection for others. And that's what I mean. You're not contemplating some rose-tinted version of the world. You're just contemplating the way things really are. That generates a natural feeling of appreciation and gratitude and love. And so that's what's beautiful about meditation. You're not trying to convince yourself to be positive. You're reflecting with wisdom that enables this natural peace and positive energy and positive perspective to arise. Never looking at anything other than the way it really is. And we may say, oh, yeah, but people are like really negative and really destructive and so forth. Okay, so that's also something you can reflect on with wisdom. Is it that the person is negative and destructive or do they struggle with states of mind that make them negative and destructive? 
In reality, everyone is struggling with their mind at times, and that struggle often comes out as anger and hatred and greed and ignorance. And never ever trying to pretend anything. You're always going from, it's not like fake it till you make it. It's mm. looking at life with wisdom that increases that peace of mind, that compassion, that wisdom. Yeah. So are you pretty much happy every day, would you say? Or is that, you know, too much of a strong statement to make? Am I pretty much happy every day? <laughs> yeah, but, but you're saying like you are focusing on compassion and love and wisdom and acceptance and gratitude which is something ultimately that we should all be focusing on. And that does inner peace bring happiness. So, you know, for someone who's practicing meditation for on average two hours a day, you know, are you happy? I would say I'm a lot happier day to day than I was when I started back in 97. You know, I'm a lot happier day to day. I'm just a normal person, though. Like anyone, we have our struggles, we have our challenges, we have our difficulties. But I definitely know this through training in these methods over the, that period of time, there is a deeper peace there that's true and a natural feeling of happiness that comes from that. So I could say definitely I feel a lot happier than when I started in 97. And I would say that that wisdom has helped me to work through very difficult situations in my own life and the life of my family and friends without feeling as overwhelmed by them as I would have done back in 97. So I definitely say, and not just me, I would say anyone I know who has trained in these methods for a long period of time and, you know, learned how to do them well and done them consistently, they will all say the same thing, that there's this gradual growing of inner peace within your mind that gives rise to this natural feeling of happiness. But at the end of the day, we're human beings. You're going to have difficult days. You're going to have difficult periods. And that can be seriously undermined during that period. But that's okay if you know how to reset. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like it's like turning on a tap, Gary. You know, you turn on the tap through meditation and there's a flow of like peace, happiness, love, compassion. And sometimes the tap just turns off. But that's fine if you know how to turn it back on. So you go through a tough period and maybe your mind is really burdened by a really stressful time in your life. And then eventually you just start to emerge out of that through your daily meditation practice. But to be really clear when we say like, you know, you were saying about two hours meditation a day. Meditation is a 24-hour thing, not a two-hour thing. So there's two aspects to meditation. There's what we call the formal meditation practice, so the bit you do in the morning. And then there's what we call the activities in the med or the med practice in the meditation break, which is what you and I call the rest of life. So what happens in your meditation, say, for example, I'm generating, you know, a genuine love or compassion for people in meditation in the morning. The idea is to hold that experience and to hold that wisdom and to hold that love and that compassion in my heart as I meet with people in my day and my life so my family my friends I don't need to be sitting with my eyes closed in meditation posture to love my family yeah so it's, you just don't do it for the two hours of the day and then you're an antichrist for the rest <laughs> <laughs> because that wouldn't work would no, it because no. you just go back and you like you we were saying a little bit earlier you know if you did go back every day you just have these like huge feelings of remorse and yeah guilt yeah every better morning. do three hours this morning after what i did yeah. yesterday the idea is to carry the experience into your life, into your everyday life. The main work is done outside the formal meditation practice. It's how you live your life, where you're living from. And that's the key because that's where those qualities strengthen. And again, I go back to that point. Everyone who's listening to this podcast is thinking, oh, if only you knew my mind. I am not that kind of person who is consistently kind, compassionate, wise. Actually, what you discover through meditation practice is what we feel are the limits 
of our love, our compassion, our wisdom, are actually the limitless capacity within the mind for those qualities. Meditation just helps you cultivate those trainings over time. And many, many centuries ago, over two and a half thousand years ago, Buddha introduced this proposition into the world. Everyone has within them innate peace and goodness. They may not feel it a lot, but it's there. And you can cultivate it. And everyone has the potential or the capacity within their mind for far deeper love, compassion and wisdom that we can experience much more consistently and much more deeply. And my own journey over this last how many years has also definitely revealed that to me. And I'm absolutely convinced there's no one in this world who doesn't have that same potential. No matter how negative, destructive they are today, they have the potential to be far better than that one day. But unless you actually consciously train in these methods, you're never really going to discover that. I mean, of course you have a natural love and everybody has some degree of love and compassion, even if it's just for one person or your goldfish. There's something there. But what Buddha said is there's something there that can be continually cultivated through these practices. And these practices don't require you to go and live in a, I don't know, a cave in Nepal or a a monastery in Tibet. It's everyday life. Like somebody asked me this the other night at a class. He said, um, I hope he's listening. (laughs) He said to me, you know the way you always say that this is a lineage that goes back over two and a half thousand years and it's been road tested for two and a half thousand years. He said, is it still valid today? Because two and a half thousand years ago, they didn't have smartphones, they didn't have all the pressures we have. Can you actually apply this in everyday life? Can you actually do this while having like a really busy career, family, all of these commitments? Is that possible? But the only reason I teach or the only reason I'm still teaching is because that's where I learned it was in that intense corporate job for all those years where I realized actually this is making a significant and qualitative difference to how I'm working to how I'm dealing with things so the whole point of this is it's a practice for everyone for everyday life not something where you go off and I don't know to a monastery and go on retreat for a year or two no this is something you do on a daily basis taking good care of your mind on a daily basis just briefly then who is Buddha and what is Buddhism So Buddha is someone who over two and a half thousand years ago attained what's called enlightenment, which is he cultivated that spiritual potential that I've been discussing, that inner potential that everyone has for deep love, compassion, wisdom. And is this a belief of a man who walked the earth like physically? Yeah, definitely. Buddha was a a prince back in those days in, in India two and a half thousand years ago. Just to put it very simply, he realized that potential within himself. He trained in meditation and practice in daily life until he fully cultivated those qualities. He actually got to a point within his own experience and in his own meditation practice and in his own way of life that he was able to completely liberate his mind from those afflictive emotions and anger and resentment and hatred and greed. He was able to train at such a deep level to liberate his mind from all of that and all of the suffering that that generates. But he was also able to cultivate a universal love and compassion for every single living being without exception. That's how he understood everyone has the same potential within them through his own direct experience. So Buddha was just like you and me. He's not like a god or some, you know, other kind of being. He was like you and me, but he discovered this spiritual potential of that, what's that Buddha seed that I was talking about earlier on. He discovered how that's possible for everyone. And then he trained continually in these methods until he finally liberated his mind from suffering and attained this supreme and everlasting peace and happiness known as enlightenment. So that's putting it in as simple a term as I possibly can. So Buddhism is that way of life, a life that's based on that understanding. We have this incredible inner potential or spiritual potential. 
but not theoretical. It's like prove it yourself through your own experience. And as I say, for me, maybe at the beginning, I wasn't really sure that that was the case. But as the years go on, I'm increasingly confident that's the case for everyone without exception. And would you drink? It depends on the individual. I personally don't and haven't done for a very long time because I guess from the point of view of a meditator, you know, often we drink to just alleviate the stress and the strain of everyday life or to just feel a little bit better. And I totally understand why people do that. But as a meditator, you're not seeking that happiness or that relief outside of yourself. You're finding it within your own training, within your own mind. And so it becomes less and less a need for that. So there are people who are training in these methods who drink, and that's absolutely fine. Everyone's free to do whatever they want. But from a Buddhist point of view, say for me personally, I, I don't feel any need for that. haven't for a very long time. And again, you're doing that inner work to alleviate the stress before the need for a drink or other drugs or yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, I just wonder, is, is there this kind of, you know, the ideal Buddhist, we'll say in the group, so someone who doesn't drink, someone who doesn't smoke, like, do you have these kind of preferences there are, there are, there are um, guidelines about how we can live our life over time, but there is no ideal within Buddhism. The, the ideal is that everyone is just where they're at and everyone's dealing with what they're dealing with. And that's perfectly fine. A big part of the training in Buddhism is learning to be deeply at peace with and fully accept the imperfect nature of yourself, others and life. When you can really be at peace with and fully accept who you are and all the flaws and limitations that we all suffer from, and you can accept everyone else for their flaws and limitations because that's the way life is. And also you can accept life isn't perfect. When you have that acceptance in your heart, that's the start of a journey to really improving continually because you can learn to let go of those and you can learn to become the person you wish to be. So there are guidelines, but it's not like you have to do this to be a Buddhist. Mm. Do you basically do whatever you feel is right for you at that time. And then gradually your experience over time starts to replace that. The need for these various different distractions, addictions and so forth become less and less as you find a deeper peace and freedom within yourself. Yeah, yeah. because I always feel that people have a vice. So, you know, mine would be a glass of wine. The wife would be the jar of Nutella. You know, some people would be a cigarette. What would your vice be? For me, I, I, I mean... See, I'm going to feel bad now if you don't have advice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I wouldn't call them vices anyway, like anything. Like if somebody says to me, my vice is a glass of wine, I would say, well, that's just your preference. It's not a vice. I wouldn't make any judgment on anyone based on what they do or <laughs> the Jaron Nutella. It's like, <laughs> you know, I think I wouldn't say... I should say the Jaron Nutella does last a few weeks in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not on. devoured in one Yeah, week. exactly. So uh, the thing is, is the way we make judgments on these things is, again, that point that I was saying earlier on, that we have to learn to be at peace with and accept where we're at. You can't really move forward in your life if you're berating yourself for who you are. So often one of the challenges we have is because we have these habits and we suffer from them. Again, our idea is I have this habit and then we judge ourselves for it. Whereas from a Buddhist perspective, you would say, no, we all suffer from various different tendencies and they manifest in various different ways. There's no reason to berate yourself for that. In fact, the only appropriate response is compassion for yourself if you're struggling with various things. So there's no vice in that way. But one of the challenges with that is when we have these habits and we are making a judgment, we feel we're never quite enough or we're never quite good enough. 
And so this idea that most people suffer with nowadays and really struggle with these days is this feeling, this underlying feeling that's not always consciously expressed, that you're never quite enough and there's nothing you ever do that's quite good enough because we suffer from these tendencies and then we judge ourselves for having them and then we feel we're never good enough. We can't move beyond our vices. We can't move in a healthier way. The truth is, when you're talking like that, you're not talking, or that's not a commentary on who you actually are. It's just a commentary on what you're suffering from or familiar with. And so we actually can discover through meditation that it never reflects who you truly are. As I said, everyone has this incredible potential within them. But because we get caught up in these habits and judging ourselves from them, we never feel we're quite good enough. So we're always striving to be better, to do more, to be more successful, Mm -hmm. because we hope one day I'll feel better about myself. But the idea is to have some compassion for yourself and understand, start to heal that, start to work with those tendencies, let them go more and more, and you'll start to feel naturally good about yourself. And you'll always feel you're enough. And you'll always feel you have the potential to be increasingly growing and growing. So it's this idea that we need to, when we're talking about these things, and you know, whether it's us or we're talking about anyone else, it's like we just need to just think, you know, everyone struggles with various different things. And there's no reason to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. It just is the thing that you're experiencing at this moment in time. You know, I love that saying. You remember the Robin Williams? Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this one, but I used to love Robin Williams. Mm. But that saying where he'd say, like, because, you know, he had a lot of struggle with mental health during his life and so forth. And he said, you know, everyone's struggling with something you know nothing about. So be kind always. And I love that, you know, like every time I think about that, I always remind myself, no matter what's going on for anyone today, there's never a basis to judge anyone. There's just a basis to have compassion for everyone because we're all struggling. It's not like sympathy in the sense of per you. It's empathy that becomes compassion. We're all in the same boat. But as I say, the, the main point with this is um, we all have our various different tendencies, but we can begin to heal and move beyond them. But we'll only start to move beyond them when we realize we have the potential to move beyond them, as opposed to I'm never good enough, I'm never quite good enough, and I don't want to look at this because I'm stuck in it and can't change it. Meditation shows you you definitely can. None of that stuff is fixed. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I, I realized I had a bunch of questions and I didn't even look at the list once. But what I want to mention is you do have Tarek Adampa Meditation Center, which is based in Temple Oak Village. Yeah. So Temple Oak, Tarek Adampa Meditation Center is in Temple Oak. But you also have meditation classes taking place throughout the country as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I know Barry from Power of Seven, it does them in Galway called Healthy Mind, Resilient and Happy. Yeah. So we have um, the main centre for Ireland is in Dublin, as you say, but we have branches in Cork, Limerick. and uh, Well, we haven't got the branch in Limerick active at the moment, but we had pre-pandemic. We're going to reactivate it soon. And then we obviously have the branch in Galway. We've actually had it here for many years. And Barry's been one of the principal teachers for that branch for many years. He's a really experienced practitioner, great teacher. And so he has the classes at um, Connacht Hotel at the moment. We used to have it in the University of Galway. He has it in Connacht Hotel every Wednesday evening. And so those classes run throughout the year. So at the moment, he's on a series called Healthy Mind, Happy Resilient Life. But he'll move on to the next series, which is going to be called Worry Less, Enjoy Life. Just like really practical. Again, it's about explaining these teachings in a really practical down-to-earth, day-to-day way that everyone can apply to everyday life. That's the key. And they've always been taught in this way, in this very kind of accessible way since Buddha's time, really. 
But the one in Galway, yeah, I'd really encourage anyone to drop into that whenever you like because he's a really good teacher. He's a very strong practitioner. So I think those kind of classes would read people would really benefit from. And as you know, Barry has, you know, a very busy life as a family and, you know, he has a lot of things going on, but he works with these practices very well, I would say. But he's always so calm and content. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he's a good guy. He's He's a a great guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to hate me saying that. (laughs) And do you do retreats then if someone wants to head off for. Yeah, we do. We do retreats. Or or something. Yeah, we do retreats throughout the year. So generally speaking, in the centre in Dublin, we'll do regular retreats. We've just actually spent January doing like, you know, weekend retreats in the centre. But often we'll go to the countryside and do like a weekend public country retreat, you know, where everybody comes from around Ireland and you just have a nice weekend meditating. There'll be some practical teachings and, you know, it's just a really nice vibe as well. So we do that usually about twice a year. But we also have courses like the one I'm teaching here tomorrow, you know be a bit late for everybody after this but it's like you know by the time they hear the podcast (laughs) it was already out so you got to go to the website to find out when the next one is and where would they go online to get Uh, just basically meditateinireland.com meditateinireland.com nice easy one to remember yeah excellent yeah i think it's important for people to you know it's good going off with the lads for a couple of days maybe doing a whiskey tour or something like that or you know going to a concert or going to a soccer or rugby match but i think it's good as well for men and women to just take time out and give themselves some headspace and head off for a couple of days and embark on a journey like this i think you're absolutely right yeah I think it's that nice healthy balance between both like your normal life and then bring this into your normal life they're not like they're not mutually exclusive. They actually can become quite easily integrated, you know. Yeah. Kadam, Adam Starr. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on Gary Talk. Thank you, Gary. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Kadam, Adam, for joining me in GK Media Studios. For more information on Tara Kadampa Meditation Centre, their branches and their classes, head to the website meditateinireland.com. As always, if you can support the show by telling your friends about Gary Talks, I would really appreciate it. And you can connect with me directly by following Gary Talks on Instagram, LinkedIn and TikTok. Have a great week and I look forward to talking to you again on Friday for a short bonus episode of Business Bites. Take care. Music.